Hello, everyone. I invite you to grab your seat. I love this. Get to know each other. If you're new here, welcome to CA Church. This is our Mariner campus. My name is John Fortune. I'm one of the pastors here. I work with our community groups primarily. And it's my, yes, thank you, yeah. It's my pleasure to host you guys this morning. I'm so grateful to be speaking to you today. Um, one thing I want to do before we get going is I want to give us an opportunity to give. Something really special that we get to do is give to our community financially. We get to, if you're, if you're like me and you kind of look around at the, at the brokenness in the world and you're saying, how could I even help? Here's a way to do that. <laughs> this is called our Community Response Fund, and we do this once a month. But you can give in and throughout the month. You don't have to give just today. You can give throughout that. So ushers, if you want to make, uh, make ready for that, they've been helping us out all weekend. We're so grateful for you guys. If you don't have cash or check to give right now, again, that's available to give throughout the week. So thank you for doing that. Right, ushers, you can go ahead. I do also want to give a special welcome to those of you joining us by video or on podcast. If any of you would like to follow along with my sermon notes, our team has done a great job and made them available to you at cachurch.info. So if you go on your phone to cachurch.info and you click Mariner Campus, Sermons and Mariner Campus, you'll be able to access my notes and follow along. Part of the reason I'm making light of that is because we're going to go through a lot of Bible today. We're going to read a lot of scripture because we are in church. Amen. All right, you guys are excited about that. Uh, this morning, we're going to try something a little different. We're going to go throughout the Bible. We're going to go throughout the Bible for five hours. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to just have a normal, a normal sermon time. But we're going to go throughout the Bible, and I'm going to try and show you. I'm going to do my level best to show you one thing, okay, to show you one thing, and this is it, that Jesus is the prophet. Everybody say, the prophet. The prophet who was to come, and he's given us his spirit to live by. Jesus is the prophet that was promised by God to Israel. He's given us his spirit to live by. Jesus, the son of God, the prophet that Israel waited for, he gave us his spirit to live by. From there, from that truth, from that amazing, powerful truth, I'm going to ask two things from you. Number one, that you would love the law. Whoa, <laughs> love the law. Love the, I thought we were New Testament Christians. Yeah, love the law and live by his spirit. Okay, so that's what I want you to walk away from today to be challenged. I'm gonna, I'm gonna my, in my life, I'm gonna love the law and I'm going to live by his spirit. So then let's get to it. The Old Testament, the law, the Ten Commandments, we know it by many names. What's it good for? The law, what is it good for? How does it, how does it help me? This question taunts believers. It, it almost haunts us. We don't really know how to answer it sometimes. And, and actually, it's almost like a, a barrier for people who are exploring Christianity. People who are learning more about the gospel, learning more about this, this man who walked this earth, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, this Old Testament, seems hard to overcome. The law is a gift. But it's no surprise when individualism when individualism is at such a high premium in our society, where how I individually am, who I individually am, what I want to do for me, by me, about me, that it's at such a high premium in our culture, compare that with, and with freedom. Individualism and freedom, it's no wonder that the law would be unattractive, maybe, to the sinful heart, to the heart that is set on the world, 
the law becomes maybe unattractive. The law, how could it ever help my personal faith? We are left asking almost arrogantly, what does Deuteronomy do for me? What could Deuteronomy ever do for me? I'm not an ancient Israelite. <laughs> I live in the Tri-Cities, or Fort Langley, represent. And, we, and we, how, could, how could the law help me? What's it going to do for me? I'm, I'm not wandering the wilderness. I, I have a 9 to 5. I have a 9 to 5. How can the law help me? But this is where you and I have been hoodwinked. Wool's been pulled over our eyes. It's in, the, it's in the misunderstanding or not understanding something that we fear it. When we don't understand the law, we don't want the law. When we don't understand God's love for us, we don't want it. We fear what we don't know. And by, not, and by actively not knowing the law, we don't want it. And we've been tricked. We've been duped. And this is what I want to do today. I want to inspire you to love the law, actually love the law of God, and actually live by his spirit. I want us to think a little bit more like King David. King David writes about the law, specifically, I think, Deuteronomy. Let's go to King David's Psalm 19. This is what he says. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The law, what's it good for? Refreshes my soul. The law of God refreshes my soul. The law of God makes me wise. The law of God gives joy to my heart. The law of God enlightens my eyes. The law of God, the Ten Commandments, in short, I could say it in a sentence, are life-giving to your soul. They're life, it's life-giving truth to your soul. And you need to embrace the law. It's a gift from God. I want you to get in the same headspace as King David, okay? He's writing this psalm. It's beautiful. We quote it all the time. But where you're coming from, you're not in a palace in ancient Israel, okay? So you're coming from your world. You're coming in out of the rain into this building. Maybe you just had a, what, a fight with your spouse in the car. And you're here. You made it. I'm so glad you're here. We, we want to re-understand what does it mean to, to love the law in our context? What does it mean for you and for me to realize that the law is actually refreshing to my soul? Do you believe that? The law is refreshing to my soul. For those of us who are lacking in friendship, we're looking around in our lives and there's loneliness. Did you know in the UK... There is a minister of loneliness. Loneliness is at such a high uh, rate in the world, is it such a large prevalence, that in the UK they actually have a paid position, a minister of loneliness, where loneliness is overwhelming us, where loneliness is a heavy burden that we carry, the law gives joy to my heart. If you're lonely, if you're struggling, if you are lacking in community, I want to encourage you to love the law today, live by its and live by the Spirit. Remember, the law is life-giving truth for your soul. So let's talk about it. What is the law? What is the Old Testament? How did the Israelites get it? And how did we get it? Again, we're going to go throughout Scripture today. 
um, but I'm just going to summarize a lot. <clears throat> so for a nation that was lost and recently liberated out of slavery in Egypt, the law was a gift from God to them, giving them purpose or direction, giving them wisdom, and giving them a way to preserve life. I'll repeat that. So the law was helping a nation that is recently liberated out of slavery from Egypt, giving them purpose or direction, wisdom, and a way to protect life. It's interesting, I was talking with Pastor Mark about this earlier, that the way that they understand law is not the same way that you and I would legislatively understand law, as in a courtroom. They would understand law as almost like a way of life, a way of life. So the law is a, is a purpose, it's a direction, it's a way of life. God gave it to the Israelites. He gave it to a nation who was lost, who needed a gift. So let's do a little background. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. This is God speaking to Moses, his prophet, encouraging Moses to go to the people of Israel and bring them, uh, and bring them out of Egypt, bring them out of the yoke of slavery. And this is what God says to Moses. Therefore, Moses, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I'm the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. God brought his people out from under the yoke of slavery and brought them out and did what? Brought them out and into his law. Out of a heavy burden of slavery and into the yoke of his law the teaching of his law, the way of his law. How did God give this law for life, this direction, this wisdom? God revealed it, his perfect law, through his chosen prophet. The word prophet, in most used word prophet in Hebrew is navi. Prophet meaning called out one or God's spokesperson. Okay? So God picked somebody out of the crowd, specifically in, in this case, out of the desert by a burning bush, and he picked Moses and he says, you're the one. You're the one, Moses. I want you to go and free my people. And he revealed his perfect law, the Ten Commandments, to Moses. How did this happen? Again, I'll just give a little summary here, but if you want to read more about it, you can, you can go into your, into your Bible, into Exodus 19 and 20, and it is dramatic. <laughs> It is colorful. There is an amazing narrative to be told there. I really encourage you, if you've never heard that story, you want to you refresh her to go and read that tonight. But this is how God did it. He had Moses, his chosen prophet. Moses came to the foothills of Mount Sinai or the Sinai region, and he ascended Sinai to the presence of God. I want you to remember this pattern. So the prophet Moses, called by God, ascended Sinai to the presence of God and brought down the law that gives purpose direction, wisdom, a way to protect life. God gave Moses, his chosen prophet, the law in his presence, and he brought down the law to the people of God as a gift from God. I want you to love the law. I want you to know its power, its truth. Moses, being God's prophet, led the Israelites out of slavery and into the law. This was his job, his office as a prophet. This is what it meant for Moses to be a prophet. Now, nearing the end of his life, think about this. You have this guy who leads this nation out of slavery, liberates the nation, almost militarily so, into a wilderness, and now he gives you a perfect law of life. He's irreplaceable. 
Who would be like Moses? What are we going to do without Moses? In Deuteronomy, Moses is giving his sermons, teaching the people of God. And they cry out, what are we going to do without you, Moses? This Abraham Lincoln caliber leader, somebody that unites a nation, bringing them out of brokenness into hope. What are we going to do now? You're dying. We need you. And so they cry out to God and they say, God, we need, we need another one. Give us another leader, Lord. And God, in his grace, hears his people. He made a covenant with them, right? He hears his people. So let's go to uh, Deuteronomy 18, 17. Now, this is an important passage for us today. And so what I, this is kind of our habit. The reason we do this is, is because we're a family and we stand on the word of God together. So if you're able, would you stand with me as we read Deuteronomy 18? If you would like to go there in your Bible, you can. Um, there's a Bible in front of you as well if you want. <clears throat> and this is the word of God for us today. The Lord said to me, what they say is good, their request that they want a prophet. What they say is good, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word to us today. We thank you for your promised prophet. Jesus, we thank you that you are the prophet who is supposed to come, that you came, the Son of God came and you filled an office of prophet and showed us the way forward, showed us how to live in the freedom of God, showed us how to live in the truth of God, not in slavery to sin. We thank you for that tonight. Lord, we pray uh, that you would bless us as we continue. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please have a seat. Remember, the promise of God to the people of Israel is a prophet just like Moses. I'm going to give you a prophet like Moses. So we now know who Moses is. We kind of know what he did, that he was a prophet who led the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and into the law. Led the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and into the law. This gave a nation of liberated slaves purpose. Gave them wisdom, life for their souls. Everybody's asking, who's the next one? Who's the next one? Who is the next Moses? Who is the prophet who's going to come after him? We've got this word from God. Moses said it himself. Who's the next prophet? And Israel has been asking this question ever since. Who is he? Who is the one who is to come? Some are still asking. <clears throat> in John chapter 1, the Israelite nation is under the occupation. So what we're doing now is we're going to jump forward roughly 1,400 years. Okay, We're going to fast forward through Scripture to the New Testament into John chapter 1. There's, there's a prophet in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. He's got camel hair on his body. He's eating honey off the comb and wild locusts, and he's preaching a message of repentance. And he's growing in popularity. How's that for a church, church growth strategy? He's growing in popularity. He's preaching, repent, repent, the kingdom of God's coming. And he's growing in popularity. So the religious leaders are thinking, is this the prophet? 
right? That's the question in their minds. That's who they're looking for, the next Moses. So they go to John the Baptist, who's baptizing people. That's why we call him that, John the Baptist. And they say, what do they say? Are you the prophet? They ask him three things. Are you Elijah? Are you the Messiah who is to come? And are you the prophet? Let's read John's response. He says, no. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I guess that solves it. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Later in John chapter 5, Jesus is growing in popularity. Jesus is growing in popularity so much so that the Jewish leaders are now envious that they begin actually to persecute him. John shows us this in John chapter 5. And, that, and Jesus, in his grace and in his love, enters into dialogue with his persecutors. In his lowliness and his meekness, he enters into dialogue with those who are persecuting him. In John chapter 5, this is what Jesus says to his persecutors. You have sent to John, speaking of John the Baptist, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you might be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have a testimony weightier than that of John. Let's keep going. The very works that I'm doing testify to the Father that the Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. In Deuteronomy 18, you have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life, but do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. And this is where we, what we need to see today. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you set your hopes. If you believed Moses, you'd believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Wow. Jesus is the prophet. Jesus, the Son of God, is the prophet that Israel was hoping for. And he showed them. He said, here I am. And he gave us his spirit to live by. Jesus made it clear to the religious leaders that he was the prophet who was to come. And it's the same tragic story as those who hear him and continue to reject him. And it's not just Jewish leaders. It's often us. Hebrews 1 and 3, the author spells it out uh, pretty clearly. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, i.e. Moses, among others, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by who? His son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, amen, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word after he had provided purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, amen. Later in this same book, we see this truth even more clearly. I think scripture is trying to tell us something. In chapter 3 of Hebrews, therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Moses? No, on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus had been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. 
just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. This is speaking metaphorically. So Moses was in the house. Jesus is over the house. I want you to see this. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, bearing witness. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Amen? Amen. This is the truth that Jesus, the Son of God, is the prophet that Israel wanted. He's the, he's the fulfillment of Israel. Jesus, by his, by his love and compassion, has given us his spirit to live by. So I've showed you, hopefully throughout Scripture, and you can see that Jesus is fulfilling a promise to us, one of God's promises. But I want us to see something else. So first I want to show you how the Scriptures say, how they say it, and then where they say it, okay? So how do the scriptures say that we are supposed to live by his spirit? How do they say it? So if we rewound the tape, we would go all the way back to Moses, the prophet chosen by God, the called out one, the spokesperson. He ascends Mount Sinai to the presence of God, and he gives us, God gives us the law. I want you to see this pattern here. Jesus is the prophet, and I think we've proved that. Jesus is the prophet who, according to Hebrews, ascended to the right hand of the majesty and has given us his spirit. Jesus is the prophet who ascended to the right hand of the majesty and given us his spirit. My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. I'm going to send, when I go, it's better that I go so that I could send my helper to you, the comforter, the paraclete, my spirit, so that you could live in my teaching. You could live in my call. You see, where God's law protected life, gave purpose, blessed the nation of Israel with wisdom, God's spirit has been given to us for life, purpose, wisdom, much more. Where Moses gave an outward law written on stone tablets, Jesus has given us an inward law written on our hearts where he summarizes the law when he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We can see in the first, in the first bit of what Jesus is saying, love the Lord your God with your all, he's summarizing the first four of the Ten Commandments. In the latter half, where Jesus says, and love your neighbor as yourself, he's talking about the latter six commandments. That Jesus is saying to us, I have the law, and I'm giving it to you, and I'm writing it on your hearts, that you would know purpose, wisdom, and life. That you would know and live by the power of my spirit. That you would love the law and live by the spirit. Jesus, when he was prophesying, he said this in Matthew 11. I love what Jesus says. One of my favorite verses, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, I'll give rest. I will give you rest. <clears throat> Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Remember, the law is life-giving truth for your soul. Jesus, as prophet, saw the weight of the heavy yoke that was burdening his people. Scripture says he looks around at the people as if they were sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them, and he showed them the way forward. He said, come to me. 
Come to me. Jesus is the prophet. He preached life to the soul. He retrained his followers into his love. I want to, I want to uh, read for us a portion of a book I wish I read a long time ago. <laughs> have you ever read a book like that? You're like, why didn't anybody tell me that? It's like 10 years ago. That would have been really helpful, mom, dad. That would have been amazing if I had read that in high school. Maybe, I don't know. Not these days, I guess. But here's a, here's, here's a book called The Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. I want to read a portion of it, what it means to have our rest, our soul rest in God. Willard writes this, In his own greatness of soul, his own greatness of soul made meekness and lowliness the natural way for him to be. Wow. Being in his yoke is not a matter of taking on additional labor to crush us all the more, but a matter of learning how to use his strength and our strength to bear our load and his. We will find his yoke an easy one and his burden a light one. Because in learning from him, we have found rest to our soul. We have learned, what we've learned is primarily to rest our soul in God. <clears throat> Excuse me, to rest our soul in God. Rest to our soul is rest in God. My soul is at peace only when it is with God. As a child with its mother. And all the dads said, amen. <laughs> I know that to be true. How might my soul rest in God? Your soul rests in God when you faithfully obey the teachings of Christ. When you faithfully obey the teachings of Christ, you are actively resting your soul in God. The opposite is also true. When we disregard the teaching, when we shun the law of God, we are not going to find rest for our soul. We're not going to find peace in the storm. It's going to be, it's going to be difficult our souls will be restless until we find our rest in thee, in him, in Jesus. If we don't, we will not be restored. We'll eat, always hunger, drink and always thirst, sleep and never rest. If you have a Bible handy, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians 5, uh, 15. This is, all, this is all well and good, John. I get it. You're telling me that I need to love the law. I believe that. Seems like a good idea. I'm going to try to work on that harder. Okay, now you're telling me I need to live by the Spirit. I don't even know what that means. That sounds really Christianese. Help me out with that. How does one actually live by the Spirit of God? Is it, a, is it an ascent of the mind? Is it only following the teachings of God? That's what I want to answer for us. In Christianity, we have some language around this. Specifically, it means to be filled with the Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? There is some confusion around that. And so I want us to talk about that in Ephesians 5.15 pretty briefly. So if you have a Bible, would you turn there with me? I'm also going to do it. Okay. <clears throat> Ephesians 5.15. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says, about their lifestyle, about what's going on in their church, about what's going on when they're looking for soul rest. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. He's going to introduce a alcohol metaphor here. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine. Okay, Seems like a good idea. 
which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. So Paul tells us, do not get, this is where we get the language filled with the Spirit or walk by the Spirit, or listen to the Spirit, or be led by the Spirit. It all kind of comes from this metaphor, and it's a little bit of a complicated one, because Paul's talking about people who are drinking too much. So he says, instead of getting drunk with wine, why would someone do that? I think he's calling calling them out a little bit, where it's people who are coming to the end of the workday, and they open their fridge, and I just, I need a drink. I need this right now. Why do I need this? I need this rest. I need something to chill me out. There's a rest or a false rest for my soul. Or I think it's people who are perhaps binge drinking. And they are, and it doesn't have to be just drinking. You can think of any comfort that the world has to offer that when it comes to your soul, you're, you're looking to it. You're saying, I hope I can find rest in that. I hope if I just travel enough or if I just read enough or if I just do enough, then I will finally have rest for my soul. But the, the problem is you won't. Paul says, no. The way that you find rest for your soul is to be filled with the Spirit. You find rest for your soul by finding your rest in him. Be filled continually. There's a a sense of it doesn't just happen one time. Uh, John Stott used to explain it this way. He would say that uh, being filled with the Spirit is not like uh, graduating with your medical doctorate. It's more like having your medical doctorate and continuing, continuing to read journals on medicine continuing to grow in your field, to understand your field more, or in this case, to understand God more, to understand the law more, to understand your purpose more, to understand wisdom more, to understand life more, that we continually ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, fill me till my cup overflows. Light the path before me wherever I go. That we continue to say, Jesus, would you fill me with this spirit? You need his direction You want his wisdom? You want something in your life that's going to give you purpose? Receive the Spirit. Receive. It's free. Jesus paid for it. He gave his life for it, that you would have the Spirit of God, that we would live by his strength. And so Christians love the law. Live by the Spirit. If you're tired, if you're weary, if you're heavy burdened, if there is something that you cannot overcome, If you keep running back to the same well and continually you are unsatisfied, try the Spirit of God. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Ask Him to lead you. If you're chronically busy, if you're overworked, receive the Spirit. I do want to make it a little bit more practical. When it comes to being filled with the Spirit... One could simply say this. It means giving control of my life over to God and asking him to lead me continually. I often describe the Holy Spirit to others as he's, he's kind of like my best friend. I concern him with my life. I concern him with what's going on. I, I ask God to lead me and guide me. Holy Spirit, would, would you teach me your ways? As I read scripture, I read scripture with God. And I ask him to speak into my life using his word. I once heard it said that, uh, living as a Christian without, without the Spirit is like 
mowing your lawn with scissors. <laughs> okay, it can be done, um, but it'll take a long time. It'll take a long time that we need to receive the gift that we have, that there is, there is a category of God's strength that many of us are not leaning into, that many of us are maybe afraid of. But there's nothing to fear. This is God's love. It's his gift to us. And I encourage you today, if you're holding on to something that you've counted more precious than Christ, if you've found your rest in anything, let's talk about what Paul said, alcohol. Let's talk about something else, escapism through entertainment. Maybe it's a person, and you're crushing that person with all of your need. You're finding rest, or you're trying to, in this person. The only person that is able is Jesus, the Son of God, the prophet who was to come, who's given us his spirit to live by. Tell him in prayer. Tell the Lord in prayer. Today, in prayer, say, Lord Jesus, this is what I've hold, held on to more than you. I've counted it more precious than you. I've looked for rest in anything else except you. I confess my sin to you. I need you. To pray that prayer and say, Holy Spirit, fill me till my cup overflows. May I know your ways. May I know your grace. Remember to love the law and live by the Spirit. We're going to continue uh, in, in our service together. I just want to invite our worship team forward. I wanted to give us an opportunity if you uh, are wanting to prayer, if you're wanting prayer, you're wanting somebody to pray with you, you're saying, you know what, I, I believe. I believe. Or you're saying, I believe. Help my unbelief. Somebody pray for me. Preach the gospel to me. We want to pray for you. We want, to, we want to pray over your life. We want to pray that Jesus' love would overwhelm you, that you would know his peace, that his spirit would fill you, and that you would live life out of his strength, not on your own anymore. I just want to encourage you. I, I want to put courage inside of you to come forward for prayer, to not only pray on your own, but to do this in community. Um, I want to pray over you now. And we're going to sing a couple songs, and our prayer team is going to come forward. So prayer team, if you're available. And again, during, these, during just these two songs, we want to pray for you. We want to ask that you would be filled with the Spirit, that you would lean into His strength continually. Okay? Sound good? All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your goodness to us. Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, Jesus, we thank you for, for, for coming through on your promise. That you said that you're going to give a prophet who's going to lead your people. And Jesus, you came. Not only that, you're the son of God. The very, <laughs> you're the very exact nature of God. Um, the representation of God himself to us. We thank you for this amazing truth. God, I pray... For those of us who are convicted today, we thank you for your conviction. We pray that we would uh, follow up on that, that we would follow you, that we would know your truth, we'd know your ways, and we would live a life um, for you and you alone. And Jesus, I thank you for these people. Bless them in your name. Amen.